0: Hi and welcome back to Spoken Word Diaries. I'm Eloise.
1: I'm Yoko. And I'm Lori and today we have a special guest with us. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: I'm um, Kevin Mooney, a.k.a. Mr. Mooney.
1: Okay, who, what do you do?
2: I uh, teach U.S. History, teach AP U.S. History, and uh, you guys in AP Government. Um I've been at Tucker for seven years. It's actually my tenth year total teaching. Um it doesn't feel like much of an anniversary because what we'll get into in terms of what a weird year it's been, teaching and everything else.
1: How has this year been like especially different because <laughs> of COVID?
2: Yeah. Um I mean in every way, uh I've never considered myself really tech savvy at all. Um I had to find my headphones for this for example. I don't really I don't know. My friends make fun of my iPhone being so old because I never update. I don't, I just don't really care. Uh I used, still use CDs in my car. So, uh doing everything tech-wise was kind of intimidating. Um and I don't mean this in a self deprecating way at all, because um, I don't really believe in that. But, you know, I think that uh, I just have to keep it really basic because tips and tricks don't, I don't, it, I think you kind of have to do what you're strong at and what you're good with. And so I've kind of felt all year like, uh, you know, everyone has strengths and weaknesses in what they do um, in life and certainly professionally. But I've kind of felt like, some of the things I've always felt like are my strengths teaching, uh, virtual kind of exposes those in certain ways. Um, and my favorite parts about teaching are completely different now. So I've never felt more, I try, but more disconnected. Um, I enjoy the AP government the most because, you know, I taught 90% of you guys last year. And so some of that, um, you know, kind of already know you guys a little bit, but, and there's been some of it, um, you know, I would, it's kind of weird because I teach, so I talk and interact all day, but I'm generally a pretty introverted person. So if I was in a virtual setting where I had the option of turning my camera on or off, it would be off all the time. Um, I would probably not speak up. Like it's kind of funny, like trying to lead like class discussion stuff. Cause when I was in school, not, I like to listen and take it all in. Um, and I can give it back to you and, and give you my thoughts later when I think about it. But you know, kind of discussion things aren't really for me. So um, I guess my point is that in each class, I have a handful of kids that speak up. Um, you know, it's hard. It, it's always a difficult thing to pull people into discussions and conversations because um, sometimes you're also thinking about the flow and time. You know, it takes a while. And even now if you can call on someone, but then it's like a five second delay, you know, you're unmute and and maybe they weren't even really paying attention because The video game's on or TV's on or not even that. Maybe it's just they don't have a personal space. You know, there's families around and stuff's happening and they're busy. Um, And so and it's distracting, you know, and so uh, so it feels like you end up talking to the same four or five students in a class. But even then, yeah, like I said, I don't think I would recognize more than five or 10 of my new students. If I ran into them in the grocery store, Um, I I proctored the PSAT yesterday morning, which is not exactly what you would normally consider a fun activity. Um, But the, the opportunity to see like to get up in the morning and have a place to go other than like the room next door where there's a desk um, and to see actual people. So there were three students that are in uh, U.S. history classes this year and just seeing them in person was like, oh my God, there's a real human. And like, I kind of know your name. I know who you are. And that's the stuff I like about teaching. So um, it's kind of that personal connection and the interaction and the relational side, which I think helps make teaching uh, valuable. Um, but all, all of that feels kind of gone. I feel like the most boring teacher in the world this year. Um, and not, not like every single day can be like the most exciting thing in the world. I mean, you want it to be, interesting, at least hopefully, and, you know, people learn a lot, but it, it's felt like me talking into the void, posting an assignment, 25% of them do it. <laughs> it's just, uh, maybe that's, that's a not a fair estimation, the 25%, but, um, you know, it's, it's been completely different, challenging. I guess I didn't make it sound very positive there, but I can't say I have loads of positives to say about it.
0: Do you think even if like, we do go back in person. Would you be for that, or, or not at all?
2: Um, do you have on record if any of my employers listen to this? Because you know, I'd have to draw a dividing line there in terms of what I'm going to say. Uh, which actually, it's funny you say that. Um, I wouldn't even have to be worried because we were having meetings about it. So you know, we're going to, as of right now, we are going to return to a hybrid next week. Um, and speaking of being feeling more disconnected than than ever, not only with the students, but I mean, it's just email after email. I've always been bad at email. Like coworkers on the hall will just be like, "Oh, hey, did you see that thing?" And I'm like, "No, why don't you just give me the rundown?" Because you know I didn't read it, um, which sounds bad. Um, but uh, in the chats, in the you know the you know every like a live stream, like there's a chat or whatever, and the teachers, it's like no holds barred. I mean, it's like the administrators running these meetings. Uh, Like one teacher commented, basically, um, if I die when we return, please tell my family I was a good teacher. And I was, (laughs) I mean, it was a lot, but that's how people feel. People are pretty angry about it. Um, You know, I think some other counties like uh, like Cobb and Quinet who have, pushed going back and have been consistently in the building and they've had weeks here and there where they closed down because cases rose. But to me, they are I think the evidence shows they're really just trying to convince everyone this is why we're the best and we can overcome this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic and everything's normal. But when you talk to people that work in those districts, it's not like that at all. I mean, there was the story that just came out. There was a Cobb County teacher who passed away on Christmas Day. Um, Yeah. And not an old like i think they were 52 53 something like that cobb county had a board meeting just a few days ago and they requested one of the board members they did like like a moment of silence and they asked for everyone to put their mask on because some of the board members were sitting there in an indoor meeting not even wearing their mask and the superintendent uh, did not put it on even during the moment of silence the person in charge so no, I, it is, you don't have a lot of times a clear, good choice and a clear, bad choice, right? You have a, a pandemic, you have two bad choices. Think about social, social isolation. Uh, we're already in an, in an age of increased anxiety and depression, um, which that could just be increased diagnosis. Maybe not that it's worse, but we know that that's true. And the, and the social isolation is increasing those things. Um, so there's problems with it. Um, it's harder to learn for a lot of people online. Being distanced, hard to get motivated, uh, not as engaging. You're losing that social development. School's not just about what's in books, right? It's interacting with other people. It, it's all the social experience is, is key. So you're losing all that. But the flip side, at the end of the day, this is not to be hyperbolic, but it is a life and death situation. So your other bad choice is to go back. Um, in which case you are increasing, uh, risk for people, especially older teachers in particular. And it just seems like we've kind of decided that there is an acceptable number of people that we're okay with getting infected and potentially dying. Um, and so to me, that acceptable number is zero. Um, I'm probably fine. Right. I don't, there aren't a lot of people living in my house. I'm, relatively young. Like I, you know, like everyone's at risk, you know, I understand that, but at the same time, like I'm not thinking about myself. I mean, think about, I mean, just on our hallway, I mean, there are two teachers over the age of 60. and uh, so, um, no, it, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, so going back to me and, and th- these thoughts have been thoroughly shared, uh, with the power to be, uh, from myself and from everyone else is that, uh, It's not safe. Uh, You I mean, I didn't say this to to anyone in charge, but sometimes I'm like, have you seen our fire drills? I mean, we're we're not that organized, like, you know, and for the most part, it's fine. You know, like in general, it's fine. But what we are talking about is like military style discipline, right, of walking socially distance on two separate sides of the hallway. Really, you think that's going to happen? No more than three people in a restroom. But it's up to the kids to like self-monitor that because otherwise the teacher would have to walk out of the room, go in the restroom, count how many people are in there every single day. you know. And the learning is not going to be better because you still the main thing I think I'm missing out on is, you know, more like group activity, small group discussion stuff, which I guess you could do that. But from like a circle that's like eight feet wide and like you can't pass out papers uh, where you're not supposed to. It's not safe. So it's basically going to be virtual learning. We're just sitting in the same room. And then a lot of kids aren't going to come back in. Um, if I'm rambling, you're, you're free to let me know that I'm rambling. But, um, you know, so some of the students are not going to come back in. So for them, it'll still be purely virtual. Now, if you are thinking about providing a different learning experience, different activities for the ones in the room versus outside the room, that becomes impossible. Right. You start doing the math, you have five different class periods, right, times two. So now that's. 10 different days a week, right? So it's just, it's untenable. So even from the learning standpoint, I don't see how it's going to improve that much. The plus side will be, uh, you know, and I, I I know the district is, actually correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure a couple times I've been up there, like they're still doing like food distribution, because that's a big concern too. Like for a lot of people, school is a key place to be fed, um, which, says a lot about our society, but that's a whole nother topic. But, you know, so there's that and and maybe some of the improved social, uh, you know, decrease of social isolation, maybe those things improve. But we're talking about a very small percentage of kids to come in. I mean, I think something like, don't quote me on this, but 300 or less students have responded positively in the survey that they are coming in. So we're going to bring back 100 staff to teach 300 students, right? I mean, that's normally it's, what one teacher to 25 out on average in a class like on average that's like one to three versus the risk of, of having all those
0: wondering to ask how do teachers clock into work
1: <laughs> it's always been something i've been so curious about because like you can't how do how how? Like, why? How? Yeah,
2: the, we'll get to the how, and then we're going to talk about the why, because it's, it is ridiculous. But actually, here's, you know, the best piece of technology at Tucker High School, the best piece of tech, not the computers that we can check out to bring into the room, those, I don't know what the language barriers are here on, on your show, but they are not good. Um, you can get some iPads on occasion, but usually the best pieces of technology are the phones in your pocket, and then... We have a fingerprint uh, scan-in in In the front office. We have to, like, scan our fingerprint. Uh, Oh, but now there's a pandemic, so how are we going to know that they work? Well, now there's a website we have to go log into every morning and click punch in. I forget every day. Uh, It'll be, like, around noon, and I'm like, oh, are they going to pay me? I got to log in. We're supposed to clock out. I refuse to clock out because I learned a couple years ago that that (laughs) this is a more interesting conversation you might thought it would be uh, that that machine logs you out every day at 6 p.m. So they think that if you just pulled up the data, which I don't know if they do, but they'd be like, wow, Mr. Mooney not only stays every day till 6 p.m., but he he clocks out religiously at 6 p.m. on the dot every day. Um, And that's most of us for the most part. Like we'll clock in. We don't clock out um, now. So that's how. But a lot of school districts, it's a thing in cab, But a lot of my friends that teach in other districts, they do not clock in. It's ridiculous. Like it's a salaried position. First of all, you don't get paid by the hour. So it doesn't actually matter. I mean, it, if, if you want to dock people for not working enough hours, that's silly because you don't pay us when we put in overtime. You know, like teaching is a salary position because sometimes it's over the top and it's a lot, it's the two extremes, right? And then there's summer break, you know, it's never kind of a a moderate amount of work. It's nothing or it's a lot. Um, But the why is crazy. Like to me, it it boils down to this general trend of not trusting teachers, thinking that, I don't know, people are trying to get away with not doing anything. And also the the judgment isn't based on hours. Um, The judgment should be based on outcomes, right? How's your class? How effective is it? We have tests that students take, you know, if you get no one passing it, then that's something to look at. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's treating, uh, there's a lo- kind of a long debate in terms of teachers being treated as professionals um, with a level of respect that, you know, in a lot of countries is afforded to teachers, but in the U.S. it's really not. I would say that if you think that you have a bunch of teachers, you need to pick up their hours. You need to look twice at who you're hiring. Um, but of course, there is a teacher shortage. So that's a whole nother topic. Um, because of things like making you punch in, or things like uh, menial tasks, like um, like I, for example, busy work stuff. You know what I mean? Like I try to never give like textbook work. Like go to page 159 and answer questions one through eight, and don't talk to me because um, it's menial. It's it tends to not mean a lot, and so um, they do that for teachers too. I think that's clocking in is a symbol of lots of other things that we get asked to do that are can feel demeaning at times, you know, like it's, it's making sure we work eight hours. Surely we're having bigger thoughts for what we want our teachers to be up to. <laughs> so that's how we clock in fingerprint. Yeah. And then, and then that's real fun in the morning, by the way, because we're supposed to clock in by 7:40, you know, or and then you'll notice the line will be building up because there's always, this is going to sound ages, some older person, and they've been there for years, but they can never figure this thing out. And they'll just be standing there and there's a little voice and the lady goes, please try again. And you hear it like eight times in a row and you're like, get out of the way. We all got to go. Like <laughs> kids in the room already are going to clock in. So sometimes I'll just I'll just go to my room. And I'll come back down later during a planning or something. Clock in. I, I, no one's ever asked me about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, what's we. story like your funniest interaction with a student or something funny they did like or even like a weird student story
2: in in general or via virtual
1: um both i guess
2: okay oh man i wish i would have had that question ahead of time i could have thought about it um if you give me just a second funniest Mm -mm -mm. some are inappropriate um like funny things i've seen um well, at Tucker, hmm. well, I'll, I'll share this one. So when I was teaching middle school, I felt like I had a lot more stories when I was teaching middle school. Um, and, it, and sometimes I anecdote, I'll, I'll, I kind of ramble, but just in general, I tend to tell new teachers because uh, I've taught both. And I'm like, in, in middle school, you got you to gotta calm people down to teach them. You just got all this energy, you know, they're just ready to go. And that's its own challenge like in high school you gotta wake them up um you know like they're not like at least once you get like 11th grade i would say you know what i mean like people don't like show up to class to make a ruckus you know they're gonna skip or they might sleep and that's that's the thing that you might deal with but like in middle school they're there every day um and they are uh you know like a balloon with too much air in it and so um which makes it interesting um so, I feel like the in a good way, the stories I have have gone way down since i've been at Tucker, um, because it's most days are pretty normal, um, and I like that, but I taught this kid who um, so you know there's uh, different educational plans and diagnoses, um, and there was a kid who he had this i guess it was more like a behavioral plan, and i'm it's not a direct quote, but I'm not lying when it literally says like the plan was for him to be like happier or more optimistic like not like he was depressed but when you talk to him like he would be a nice kid but he would just walk up to you like he was the most serious person under the age of 30 i've ever met he was like in eighth grade and he would just walk up to you and be like good morning mr mooney he was very serious um and i was like good morning uh you know insert name privacy laws um and so he was very serious all the time and then um he struggled in school for the most part um he wasn't a bad student he just i don't know i think language vocabulary just didn't click with him. reading skills, not the strongest. So, but one day he, uh, I guess he made, made a hundred on this quiz that I gave, which I don't know if it means that my stuff's too easy or he got, I like to think he got better. Um, but he comes up to me he's dead serious. And he's like clearly happy, but he was like, Mr. Mooney, I got an A on that quiz. I've never gotten an A on a quiz before. And I was like, the smile come with that. And he like cracked this fake smile. And then he shut it back down and went and sat down. Um, and so, uh, and then along with that same kid, he comes up to me one day. Um, he's like, Do you want to see my drawings? And I was like, Yeah, I want to see your drawings. Um, and actually, if I had thought, I might still have the t shirt somewhere around here because we ended up getting it put on the eighth grade t shirt. Uh, <laughs> but it, every drawing was like the same, like Dragon, who's like, it was like a dragon man who's like, he's standing up and he's got like legs and arms, he's got like an 18 pack on, on, his, on his abs and like huge muscles. And like fire coming out. And every picture was like 95% the same. And he had like 30 of them. And he was a good artist, actually. He was flipping through the sketch pad. The only difference would be like he would create a different weapon in every picture for the dragon to be holding. So it would be like a golden sword. Well, now he's got a blue sword. Now he's got a green sword. Now he's got a laser gun. Now he's got a Star Wars lightsaber. Everything else about the picture was the exact same. And then he goes, yeah, this is what I do when you're up there talking a lot um (laughs) i was like fair enough uh okay buddy um at least he was honest he was honest which you can always appreciate that um let's see here at tucker yeah again i mean there's definitely some things some of them aren't that appropriate like funny stuff but you know my first year there when i taught at the middle school those kids like to fight there were a lot of fights all the time like once a week um, You know I I don't get into it I'm too small And um, you know If you make the wrong move I've, I've never really been clear On the rules You know what I mean Like if you break up a fight But like what if When you're dragging a kid away And I don't know In the ruckus You accidentally trip them And they hit their head Like is that your fault now Um, You know So I'm just like We're just gonna Call the administrators They're gonna deal with this um, <laughs> But at one of those At the middle school This girl I saw her like this is the only involved I ever got. She clamped down on this girl's braids and was about to do damage. Um, like she had a really firm, hard grip. And so I just put my hand on her hand and just stopped her from pulling. Um, that was the only one. I had a kid light something on fire in that class. Um, uh, a positive story in that class. It didn't start off positive. I had a kid that told me he had um, what's called an uh, oppositional defiance disorder and it can come it's usually environmental like maybe uh usually a bad home life where authority figures carry a certain uh not just a lack of respect but people who have been in authority have abused that authority and um you know so it can be in the classroom setting it can look like literally a direct instruction like hey pull some paper out can just elicit a response in them so you have to kind of navigate around it hey do you think it's a good idea to pull some paper out um, what do you think about, Hey, I think you'd do well on this assignment today. Are you thinking about trying it? Um, you can't walk up and just, now. I didn't get this at first. Um, and maybe it wasn't explained to me well enough. I don't know. But first couple of times I asked him to do something or told him to do something. Uh, he told me any variation of F you F off F that. Um, and so by the end of the year, it kind of became a joke. I can't say his last name, but let's say his last name's Mooney. Um, where the other teachers would be like, oh, hey, did did F.U. Mooney say anything to you today? Um, And, you know, in middle school, you teach in teams. And so I was the only male teacher on the team, and I was younger. Um, Everyone else on the team were, like, older, teaching 20-plus years, uh, black women, who I think he viewed them as, like, much more of a mother figure. So when he was in their room, he just doted over them, loved them. And then when he'd come in my room he's like who's this jerk um and so uh <laughs> so but the the good thing this is one thing i learned that really shaped you know teaching and interacting in general with with students was he came back that was an eighth grade class and he came back um sometime the next semester uh to my classroom and and i'm not kidding when he first walked in i was like he's gonna punch me um like like i just i don't know why i was like he's just he doesn't go here anymore and he's back to finish the deal. Like he just, you know uh, and I was so nervous. He walked up and he shook my hand uh, and he said, I'm sorry for being bad in your class last year. Uh, And we chatted for like a long time and we've interacted ever since. Um, Like he'll he'll email me not often, but maybe once a year or so. Um, And so that taught me how to, you never give up on someone and you have to see who someone can be, not who they are. Um, And the, you know, no one is the sum product of the worst thing they've ever done. You know what I mean? So clearly he was having issues and I'm sure he wanted to feel normal and do things normal in school, like most of the other kids, but, you know, emotional and psychological diagnoses are real. You know, it's a mental disorder. Um, cannot control how he acts. Now sometimes someone's just being a jerk, um, you know, and that needs to be checked obviously, but uh, you know, to forgive and move on very quickly and, uh I think in in younger teachers or in people who i mean i think you see this in life in general but you know if someone is rude to you or you know they're just they're not the teacher's pet they're more likely to kind of keep them at more of an arm's length and pay attention to the other ones where it's i feel like you know your best work is not with the people who know let's be real there are a lot of students who are going to do great in school and they're going to be fine and happy regardless of who the teacher is right like your real measure is how do you handle the ones who really need the help and really um you know don't blend into those things quite as well you you don't need to put an arm up to like keep them away which is natural when someone's mean to you or tells you to f off and and things like that it's not fun um but that's who you need to reach out to and you need um but yeah
1: Has a student ever made you cry?
2: Um, No, not that I can remember. I've cried over teaching and just the stress and the weight of it. Um, So when I first got hired at Tucker, uh, I was gonna be teaching, I think like just all general level stuff, like US history, maybe in economics or something like that. And then about a month before school started, they were like, will you teach AP US history? And I remember this was on like a Saturday And they were like, and there's an AP training. It starts Monday. Um, and it was, it was, it's just a lot more to take on in terms of all that stuff to learn. So I remember, uh, the weekend before I like the first week of school, the first time I was gonna be teaching at Tucker, I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is just too much. I'm going to make a mess of it. Um, it's too heavy. I don't know this, a lot of this content well enough or just you name it. So, um, less crying and more like uh uh just i don't know i don't want to sound like uh too dramatic but you know a feeling of like this is just too heavy you know, I i don't think i'm gonna be able to do this so um and then sometimes since then but th- that's the other thing i'll tell newer teachers is like just it gets vastly easier you just you got to get through that kind of three-year starting point and if you do that You'll everything will just feel easier, you know, and then if you're teaching a new class, it's a little bit of a start over. But uh, but a student's never made me cry in person. A student has made me want to, uh, you know, react strongly, Um, you know. Being emotionally affected by the job, I will say that in terms of just some of the stuff you encounter, like stories you learn about what's going on with them. Um, you know learning about all these obstacles that some students have to just do everyday life that kind of thing has has made me cry but not in terms of like
1: is holistic and representative of U.S. history and if not how can it be like improved
2: I think it's better um, than when I was in school, but I also think uh, I think it depends on the teacher in charge of it. In terms of wh- when I think of U.S. history in particular, you know, a lot of high schools have a, a, a what's the word? An elective for like African American history. And um, a lot of high schools, there's a big movement these days for having a graduation requirement the ethnic studies so um and i don't know how familiar you guys are with that but uh it's not just a history class but even kind of like a cultural competency almost like a perspectives point of view class from you know reading you know like asian authors black authors um like a true kind of uh, worldview perspectives class i'm probably not explaining it very well but um, but when I think about U.S. history, I think a lot of it is already whitewashed, and then I think that in the hands of teachers uh, who haven't learned enough in terms of, uh, I don't know, a non-whitewashed history, um, you can get by without. Yeah, I you could get a, a group of, let's say, you're in some like affluent suburb high school with like ninety-five percent white students you could talk zero black history and get them all to pass the AP exam. Um, You could ignore perspectives um, quite easily. So uh, in fact, there's a big fight. I mean, history curriculums are a huge political debate um, because inherently people know that uh, history is now and someone's historical views shape their views of the world right now. So if you clean up the narrative around slavery or, never mentioning mention some of the you know darker heavier elements of any country's past um then uh you know if you bring those things up then some people will say that you're you're just teaching kids to make the country look bad or to hate the country or lose patriotism and pride and things like that um, a few years ago apos history updated the curriculum and expanded some of the required content around slavery and they i think for a minute they had taken george washington's name out of the curriculum now but there were, you still couldn't have taught the class without washington coming up things from around the 1790s were still in there but what they were trying to do is make history less detailed date 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 name 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 and more like concepts and themes that's that was the goal so they took a lot of names out they took a lot of specifics out and they would say hey Um, you know, talk about the development of the early presidency. Well, that's George Washington, right? But they're trying to make it broader, more thematic. So in the state of Oklahoma, the state had removed state funding for AP U.S. history simply because of that change, right? Because they, you're going to talk more about slavery and, um, you know, but I think it gets into, uh, what am I trying to say here? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think that history can be a, a, a really positive or a pretty dark tool. You know, I mean, when I was taking history in school, I mean, I mean, we'd, I'm not even kidding. We'd spend two to three months on the Civil War, mainly from a Southern perspective. And then you learn about the Cold War and how we beat communism. And You take those two things and, you, and we didn't learn that slavery was the main cause of the Civil War. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, in general, U.S. history curriculums are lacking but i think there's a lot of improvement uh that's coming i think the real improvement is in the teachers that get hired and getting a gauge for not like you can do some political test on someone that's not right but you know if someone has zero idea of say why black lives matter exists right or why uh you know if you don't know who james baldwin was or Malcolm X, or you only know that Martin Luther King gave some, a great speech about a dream, but you don't know about his economic beliefs. Um, You know, I just, I think that would speak to how someone would use that history curriculum and just tell a traditional narrative of American exceptionalism, uh, American greatness, uh, uh, you know, talking about the Gilded Age without talking about, uh, you know, Child labor and the institution of Jim Crow laws. Um, uh, lynching is not required in any US history curriculum, which is wild to me um, because we're talking about a century of vigilante violence, but you want to teach kids that we live in a nation of laws. Well, in some ways, uh, you know, but we also see that we have a nation of two sets of laws for different people, right? Um, not just along race, but certainly along socioeconomic lines. And so you know, I think that one thing I've tried to do is um, teach those required things, because at the end of the day, we get held accountable for this EOC, this AP test. Right. But you can do that in a way that brings in different perspectives. And what I would say a a holer history, it's not is not a word more holistic to use your word. But um, and it's not about making it's more honest. It's not about making people dislike the country, but you can't heal unless you talk about those things. That's how it works. And so, um, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I think think that's the baseline. But I would say that in general, U.S. history class for a lot of students' experience is severely lacking, severely. In fact, I found a poll just a few years ago, percent of people nationwide said that slavery was the main cause of the Civil War. 35%, 35%, that is wild, that is wild. 48% said states' rights and, and everyone else just didn't know. Um, and you know, that, like that alone, and, and some people would look at that as some benign kind of thing. And to me, it speaks to very real reasons why people are so apathetic about what happens in this country, about real oppression, real inequality, because they're apathetic about it and what they learn and, and that's not everyone's fault then it becomes a cycle you only know what you know so if no one ever taught you right if, if no one ever explained that then you don't know it but there's also a lot of willful ignorance right we live in an age of you know information's more ubiquitous than ever but we interpret information based on our preconceived conclusions so it's not like people are coming at things saying okay let me look at the evidence and build my conclusion um, they just want to believe that if america is guilty of oppression uh then there's implications for them and their views right um and they don't want those views to change and so they ignore evidence that would would challenge it Um, but i would also say that we're missing out on our i'm not saying your washington's of the world aren't heroes i do think there are some better ones though Like, like we'll look at people who uh you know i like talking about like some of For example, like congressmen, like black congressmen who got elected during Reconstruction. I mean, think about that life story. Like some of them were literally enslaved in 1865, get emancipated, probably self-educated. Take the story of Robert Smalls, uh, first black congressman from South Carolina. He had been enslaved in South Carolina. Um, During the Civil War, he literally steals a Confederate battleship, never sailed a boat in his life, and just sails it. And he finds some like Union ships and like gives them the boat and then they kind of bring him in and you know he kind of stays with them and then after the war is over he gets elected to congress that's a heck of a story right like that you know so and but we don't talk about it because because to bring up that story you have to bring up the parts of the fact that he was enslaved or the fact that after he gets elected to congress white violence same thing we saw two weeks ago at the capitol that's very American, right? Like these black congressmen were driven out some by violence. Um, You know, we have a history of ignoring democratic outcomes. We have a history of, of violence in defense of white supremacy, but unless you understand that you can't fix it, you know? And, and so, but my point being in terms of like some of the real heroes that I think that we've got take about, you know, an Alonzo Herndon, like the first black millionaire in Atlanta, super successful businessman, you know, which starts with barbershops and then he's opening up uh, insurance companies in Atlanta, hiring students um, from nearby campuses, just providing all this opportunity. But the only story you get from that time period is John Rockefeller, right? Literally the only business tycoons that, that come down in that narrative are, you know, white guys. And so, um, so to me, it's actually a more holistic picture. And I think it's better. I think people would be more inspired by the country, more devoted to it if they got not just a more honest, assessment, but then even out of that, what people were still able to do, right? Um, You would have to argue that black activists have made this country, whatever semblance of a democracy it ever was, has come through activism, right? I mean, when Washington took office, less than 10% of the American population was even eligible to vote, right? No women and only wealthy men, right? Um, The same people that used to get challenged for being unpatriotic because they're standing up against the system they're the ones that made it closer to these ideals that Americans think are true, right? That everyone has a voice. Everyone has a say that we're a democracy. You know, Martin Luther King got labeled as the most dangerous man in America by the head of the FBI in the 1960s, right? Now we call him a hero, not how people felt, but he was calling as, as he says in the, I have a dream speech, right? Our dream is deeply rooted in the American dream. They believe in it more than people who don't want to hear the criticisms do. And that's, that's kind of amazing to me epic rambles on my part i i see a thought and i'm like you got to follow that one
1: um but yeah to your point though i went to say that like yeah i think it has a lot to do with the teachers that are actually teaching the curriculum um as to like what is actually going to be really taught and like the real truth of like our history because i noticed like when i was in 11th grade i had you for a push and then i had um I forgot his name, but I had another teacher for African-American studies.
2: Mr. Watson, Mr. Watson? Yes,
1: Mr. Watson. And I loved him. Like He was just so, like, he un- he was unfiltered. Like, And you could see how much anger. You seen
2: him in the chat this morning.
1: <laughs> yes. He was so, he, like, you could just see that he was kind of, like, I wouldn't say raged, but he was just angry about the things that Black people really had to face. And, like, we watched so many slave movies. And I noticed, like a lot of the things that he would teach me, I'd come to your class and you'd basically be saying the same thing. Like, I'd literally learn something twice from both of you guys. And it just, like, I don't know, it made me appreciate, like, wow, I had really good, like, history teachers this year because it's, like, I've had history teachers that I I felt like, okay, he's racist. Like, he definitely is racist. He's, like, trying to make slavery seem like it wasn't that big of a deal. He's, like, not, you know, he you could just tell, like, he doesn't really... You know, even by the way, how yeah. he treats his white students versus his black students. Like, I have had teachers like that. And then, like, when I was in 11th grade, I was like, wow, like, I really appreciate these two for being my teacher. Because they really taught me more than I thought I knew. Like, they taught, you guys taught me a lot. And, like, it'd be to the point where even me and Elvis would be like, wow, like, Mr. Rooney really snapped today in his class. Like, he really taught us, like, like, you know, how to appreciate, like that black people did just as inspiring and successful things as the white people, you know, in our history. So
2: I just want to say that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I'm I'm glad that that came through because it's definitely a goal. Um, And you kind of mentioned there in what you were saying, both slavery, but also accomplishments. And I think that's an important balance because the history is not just the ugly, but I think it makes the, the accomplishments and the things that happen even more incredible um, given in what people have faced. And even today, I mean, it's not, you know, we don't have, you know, legal segregation anymore. Slavery has been abolished, but I mean, we know, right. That people are not starting life from the same point in the race. Um, and, you know, for example, like one of the things that, uh, really inspires me today is when I think about, um, you know, I had certain political disagreements say with like Kamala Harris, but like, I've I've never felt more patriotic than whenever I saw her sworn in last week. I I just thought that was amazing. Um, When I think about um, Ilhan Omar, the representative, uh, she's the first uh, black immigrant elected to Congress, right? She's Ethiopian immigrant. Um, When I think about Ayanna Pressley from Massachusetts, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I watch all her Instagram live videos. They're incredible. Uh, I've never seen someone that can just cook. And just talk policy like it's nothing like she's just making a suit and she's like anyway so healthcare, um, anyway the earned income tax credit and i'm just like amazing um you know so those things too but they also face you know a lot of them went to underfunded public schools you know student loan debt i mean there are members of congress now that have student loan debt you know um, like you just i mean i don't know that i'm just saying they're real people um and I just, I appreciate that. And I think that I believe that those closest to the pain should be closest to the power. So like, I think a big problem with government is that you get a lot of silver spoon hedge fund kids. How can they solve problems? They don't even know those problems exist. Um, yeah. or maybe they do in theory, but unless you've lived through it, you don't really know. Um, and so I feel like, uh, yeah, no, but I guess to loop back what I was trying to say is even today we have these, you know, people, uh, doing all this incredible stuff who faced serious obstacles, um, and still do in the way people talk about, you know, um, I mean, some of the stuff that they get nitpicked on or called out for, I mean, it's just laughable. Um, but they, they are still dealing with these racist comments, attacks all the time, and then still keep going. It's something, something incredible. That's what I meant to say. Something that doesn't sound like much of a comment. Well, it's something. Yeah.
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, rapid fire, Mr. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I have to be short in what I say. I'll try. (laughs) The first one. Go
1: ahead. Um, Are we talking
2: yes or no questions here?
1: Like, just like short responses, yeah. Okay. What is your most used emoji?
2: This one. The California, (laughs) uh, what do you call that? Yeah. The cool surfer, or the hang 10, I think they call it. Hang ten. So if someone's like, Hey, I'll be there in five minutes. I I'd do that. Hey, I'll call you back in 10. So there you go. And the laughter one with the tears, those two, those are my two favorites.
1: What are you reading currently?
2: Um, I'm reading, uh, Well, I like to reread books, so I've already read it, but I don't consider, if I really love it, I don't feel like I really, really read it until I read it twice. It's called, and I could talk a long time on this, I'm going to stop myself. It's called Utopia for Realists, um, and it's by a Dutch historian, but he writes a lot of economic stuff, and he talks about these things in ways that are so readable. I would have almost considered requiring it in government, but um, you should look it up. It's about, um, well, we said rapid fire. You should look up Utopia for Realists. I think deep down, I'm more of a dog person, but I love my cat. Um, It kind of depends. Cats are much lower maintenance, which is nice. Dogs are higher maintenance. But I think if I'm just hanging out with one pet, I I think I'm a dog person.
1: We were commenting about how your cat looks like you. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I don't, she's like a orange tabby. I don't, I don't even have red hair. I don't,
1: (laughs) it's a face structure.
2: Ah, yeah, it makes sense. She, we both have hair on our face. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. We, I don't lick myself to clean, but I'm sure we've got at least one other thing in common.
0: Do you often listen to podcasts?
2: All the time. I feel like, yeah, that, between music and podcast, that ratio is probably ninety ten. I listen to the podcasts all all the time.
1: Who's your favorite artist?
2: Musically? Um, These days, so I have like all-time favorites and then I have current favorites. Uh, Currently, I'm a big fan of Mumford & Sons. um, And I like the Avett Brothers a lot. All-time, the Dave Matthews band. um, Who, by the way, I don't like the stereotype with Dave Matthews is like white frat guy stuff. but the origins of that band, the original five members, three of the five were black jazz artists. Um, and the reason I like them is because they became this famous rock band in the 90s when the style was grunge. Right. It was Nirvana. Um, it was Pearl Jam, you know, like heavy guitar stuff. And then you have uh, Dave Matthews Band coming on the scene with violins and saxophones um, playing jazz improv. So they're, they're my all time favorite. What's your favorite food uh, sauce pizza Mexican food uh buffalo sauce those are my those are my key food groups
0: is there anything that you wish that you had learned in your past or something that you wish you could learn in the future
2: like something I know now that I wish I had known
0: no more like just like. Anything, say like learn a language or learned how to ride a horse
2: or something like that? Mm. Um, I would say, sorry, now my dog's uh, got something to say. I did go back and take Spanish classes for a few years recently. Um, But then when the pandemic hit, I kind of backed off of that because they were in person. Um, I don't know. I don't know about doing a thing. I really think I do a lot of what I like to do. honestly, I don't really feel like I'm missing out. I mean, I'm always open to new experiences and things that I like, but I feel like for the most part uh, I would maybe spin it and I don't know if this is your question, but something i I would I know now that I wish I had held on to when I was like late high school and in, in college and stuff is to just not worry um, things will work out or they won't, but even when things don't work out, it just goes a direction that it's probably, it's fine. Um, sometimes the thing you're most afraid of happens and you're still here and it's fine. So there's really nothing just, it, it saps us of everything that makes life good when we worry. Um, and then I would say that small things become big things. So like, um, you know, there've been things that I enjoy doing, like, I don't know, writing in different capacities, uh, and I'll go away from it for a long time because I don't have a lot of time to devote to it. And sometimes I'll look back and I'll be like, even if I had just done a little bit here and there the last two years, I would be in a much different place with that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question.
0: What is the one thing that annoys you the most?
2: (sighs) Um, I mean, generally speaking, I'm very easygoing. Um, people that annoy me would be, um, Now there's loud, boisterous people, but it's in a way that like, isn't so selfish. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like attention seekers, loud, boisterous, attention seekers get on my nerves. Um, And
0: students at Tucker at 7am
2: loudness in general can be tough sometimes. Yeah. Loudness in general can be tough sometimes, which school is probably the wrong place to feel that way. But, um, Uh, You know that thing where everyone hates the sound of their own voice? Um, Whenever I hear my voice, I'm like, kids got to listen to that like every day. That is terrible. Um, So now I'm I'm very nervous. I will listen to it. But two minutes in, I might be like, I can't handle it. I can't listen to that guy.
1: You and Yoko have something in common because she hates listening to them because of her voice. Actually, I've been working on that. And now I'm narcissistic enough to where I love the sound of my voice.
2: See, (laughs) there are times when we all need to be a little more narcissistic. You know, nothing's bad all the time. Except drugs, math all the time.
1: <laughs> Don't you Always,
2: drive? every no, time.
0: What you do is you do something that like takes away your attention while you listen to it, so that your your focus isn't completely on your own voice. I've been trying to master that. I'll like cook and I'll like listen to it, or like I'll grow, I'll drive and I'll listen to it. I'm not like too focused on what I'm saying, or else I'm gonna have too many regrets. But besides the point, thank you so much for uh, just being a guest on this episode. Once again, I'm Eloise. I'm Yoko. I'm Lori. Lori. And until next week.
1: Bye.